Want to learn how you can make smarter decisions with your money? Well, I've got the podcast for you. I'm Sean Piles, and I host NerdWallet's Smart Money Podcast. Our show features our team of nerds, personal finance experts in credit cards, banking, investing, and more. And they'll help you make the most of your money while cutting through the clutter and misinformation in today's world of personal finance. You'll get clarity on strategies to help you build your wealth, invest wisely, shop for financial products, and plan for major life events. Listen to Nerd Wallet's Smart Money Podcast wherever you get your podcasts. Hello, everyone. It's Takuyi here. And I'm Gabby. And we are the hosts of History of Everything, a podcast which you can probably guess by the name is, well, I mean, it's about everything. Do you want to know why people thought potatoes were evil and would give you syphilis? Are you curious about all the stories of the terrible and stupid ways that people have kicked the bucket over the years? Do you want to hear tales about all of the different badasses of history and the lives that they had brought to life? Well, if so, then look no further. History of Everything is just the right podcast for you. It's available on Spotify, Pandora, and anywhere else that you get your podcast from. Join us for some fun and just see how weird and wacky history can be. It began long ago. Two young boys in an American town riding their bikes to school and Little League practice. Over the years, the boys became fast friends, united in their love for stories where things would go horribly wrong. Pour yourself a strong beverage and buckle up. You're in The Shallow End with Schnebly and Toth. Episode 58 of The Shallow End, JG. I was driving home from church today and thought... I get to record with my good friend JG. What if we did the entire episode in our best cliche, obnoxious radio voices? What do you think? Well, I think that's a great idea, Linz. Uh, I think that it's always good to, to look back at the past and uh, enjoy a golden goodie from the groovy graveyard. Look back at the past, but celebrate the future. That's how we roll here at the Shallow End with Schnebly and Toth. Episode number 58 commences, and I believe... Oh, God, I can't even do that anymore. That was too much. Wait, I had one more line, though. <laughs> okay. Hey, JG, you got something to say? Yeah, this is the uh, radio station where the news comes first and the sports sleeps in the wet spot. But I'm bummed. But seriously, $10,000 coming your way at some time this hour, if you know the magic key. <sighs> it's amazing how, uh, oh, how quickly that crap comes back doesn't it yeah i tried to stay away from that as much as possible uh when when i was doing radio shows but all we need is is a, a maniacal uh passive aggressive manic depressive program director <laughs> yeah and one of those big bulb horns that we can we can squeeze when we do a bad joke <laughs> honk yeah. honk you know that kind of thing yeah yeah, the, yeah. the classics endure <laughs> yes they anyway. do my friend they do anyway yeah. i think uh i think you're going first today if i'm all right mistaken. talk a little bit about extreme sports love extreme sports yeah and how do you create a new extreme sport well it's pretty easy really the only thing that you need to do is uh whatever you just do anything while you're skydiving and it's considered an extreme sport now i guess that would make sense for example Extreme ironing. Now, this isn't li uh, limited to just skydiving. Uh, okay. It's it, it, people do it all over the place and in, in, in underwater, and, you know. But uh, but a sky surfer named Mike Frost and uh, another one, Steve Scott, they go extreme ironing in the UK, where they'll take their their laundry with them, apparently, and an ironing board and an iron up in a plane. 
and then uh, jump out of the plane and iron some shirts. How in God's name is that even possible? Velcro, I'm guessing, probably plays a part in and uh, lots of it in their strategy. Yeah, and lots of it. And and that would drive me crazy because I like to, when I iron, um, I like to use the uh, the steam function to get the wrinkles oh, sure. out of the collar, you know, of my yeah, shirt. Yeah, yeah. Uh, yeah, yeah. That would be totally useless when you're plummeting from a plane. <laughs> it would. I it would, would hate that. It would drive me crazy. Um, then then there is uh, a guy who has, uh, he started a new sport. It's <laughs> extreme accounting. <laughs> okay. And and he just does the books while he skydives. So again, it's it, the, the thread here is while skydiving. While All skydiving. Of, okay. Now I'm in the groove. Now I get it. Now there was a... Uh, this was you. Par- pardon me. Pardon me. Do you think you would want your uh, accountant, the person who does your taxes, to do them while free falling? <laughs> probably. Earth? Probably not. I'm thinking no. I'm thinking yeah. you might want to triple check that math. <laughs> <laughs> there were a group of daredevils that uh, tried uh, to. It was this was an event. They weren't trying to start a sport. Uh, but they, they labeled it as extreme text messaging. Um, ten skydivers, they okay. worked for Samsung Mobile. This was kind of a stunt more than anything. Uh, they text messaged while skydiving. And it was a team of professional skydivers. And uh, they free fell for 12,000 feet outside of Los Angeles, uh, outside of, uh, well, probably right by your house. Probably. Uh, and um, the event was this. They wanted to see who could text one specific paragraph uh, as, as quickly as they could while they were skydiving. And the, and, the, and the paragraph was this. The razor-toothed piranhas of the genera, and then it's like a bunch of scientific words that I'm not even going to uh, try to pronounce, our most right. ferocious freshwater fish in the world. In reality, they seldom attack a human. The skydivers had only one minute to text message the phrase while free falling from 12,000 feet. And this was a this was 10 people and they were yep. all texting each other? Was it like a game of telephone? Was it No, I think they were they were just texting uh, to somebody on the ground. Um, okay. But right. but they had to text the entire message before In they pulled their shoes or less. Yeah. Okay. <laughs> so to speak. Yeah. Yeah, before they pulled their shoots. And they all succeeded. Wow. I, I don't know who won, but uh, but they all were able to do it. Good grief. There was a uh, production company in Japan that did a commercial for uh, razor blades. And they filmed a guy jumping out of a plane shaving. This guy, this guy actually <laughs> shaved while plummeting to the earth. How do you do that? I, I don't know how a person could pull that off wouldn't that wouldn't that i mean i guess i could see doing an electric razor but but, you know he had the foam and everything he had the shaving cream i don't know i mean he didn't have a mirror have you ever tried to shave without a mirror it's funny you mention this because i just got back from a vacation and the uh airbnb where we were staying did not have a mirror in the shower Uh uh-huh and I have run into this in the past. And what I do is I pretend that I'm looking at a mirror and then the muscle memory <laughs> muscle takes memory. over and okay. I can I can safely uh, shave. But Isn't I just that did that a few funny. days ago for the first time in ages. Yeah. Wow. Wow. 
Some people can, uh, it takes them a long time, in even years, to solve a Rubik's Cube. But uh, there's one guy who managed to do it in 32 seconds while skydiving. Good grief. Yep. Um, so there's extreme Rubik's Cube solving. Then there was a guy named Danger, <laughs> Danger Man Miles Dacher. Wow. Yeah. And Great name. he actually jumped out of an airplane wearing a chute in a kayak. <laughs> so he kayaked. Because, because yeah, he could. Because he could. And he yeah. kayaked and landed in the water. He jumped out of the plane with a kayak and landed in the water and then just started paddling away. And he 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 named his new extreme sport skyacking, which. That's clever. It's great. I love that. I like that. I like that a lot. Then there was a guy that got a haircut while skydiving. <laughs> I wonder how that looked. <laughs> Just a little off the, oh, never mind. <laughs> that would be sort of the, you remember the Floby, that yes. thing that you would attach yeah, to with a vacuum a, cleaner? A vacuum cleaner? Yeah. I wish they'd bring that back. I miss that. I miss the Floby. I wonder if a, a haircut given while skydiving would be essentially the same as a Floby and that your hair would be. Presumably shooting out in all directions. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. And you could get a nice, even, uh, you know, bowl cut. cut. Yeah. 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 Good, perfect for a perfect for a bowl <laughs> cut. Then there was a guy who uh, jumped out of an airplane uh, and played a guitar hero on the way down. Uh, Tom Petty's running on a dream. If you were wondering what he was, what he was playing. I w that was going to be my next question. So yeah. thanks for yep. thinking in advance. Of course. Of course. I would have played Jump by Van Halen. That seems to be perfect. Cool. Yeah. Or, uh, or Free Fallen. Or Free Fallen. Yeah. 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 Why? yeah. yeah. He was already on. He had t the Tom Petty catalog, obviously. Why didn't he do yeah. Free Falling? Idiot. On a dream. Yeah. <laughs> jerk <laughs> if you're listening if that if you're that guy and you're listening to this podcast please email us at lifeguard at shallowendpodcast.com and explain your music choices yes immediately get on it um and then there's this guy now somebody sent this to me and it comes from a clip uh from a new zealand radio show it's funny that you you mentioned doing radio shows at the beginning um, this is a radio show in New Zealand called Rock Drive, and it's hosted by Duncan Hyde and Jay Reeve. And they're really talented guys. They're pretty funny. And somebody sent them this letter and they were reading it. I'm going to share it with you. All of this leads to all of the skydiving stuff leads to this story. Okay. I transcribed it from the Rock Drive um, TikTok, I guess it was. My dad was a skydiver back in the 60s. And there was a guy in his club that was a bit of a nut. He had the idea that he should test the axiom that cats always land on their feet from free fall. Oh, no. I'm so glad Cat is not here to hear this story. So he's, he decides that he, he would free fall with them to observe their self-writing behavior. He had no interest in aiding their descent and uh, just wanted to see how they behaved in free fall. And its planned landing was the cat's problem, not his. <laughs> not a very sensitive man. No. Not an animal lover, more of a scientist. But it was the 60s, so who knows what was going sure. on in his head. Yeah. 
for scientific impartiality or, for, or some such thing, he took four stray cats and stuffed them in a pillowcase for the job. <laughs> so this does sound highly scientific. <laughs> yeah, obviously. You know, he has a control and uh, yeah, he knows what he's doing. So he gets up in the plane and after exiting the plane, he turned the pillowcase inside out, releasing the cats. To his great surprise, all four cats immediately attached themselves to his body. (laughs) (laughs) So let's pause and uh, remember that that cats, four, four feet, they have 18 claws each. So he was oh my Lord. he was punctured at least 72 times. Absolutely. Probably more because he in struggling vainly to remove the cats as he fell and they weren't having any of it. They would just reattach themselves even with more conviction. Of course, who could blame him? And with every attempt that he made to pull this mob of cats from his body, uh, they would just dig in even more. <laughs> So eventually, he runs out of altitude, and he has to turn his attention to... Releasing his chute. Yeah, releasing the chute. And let's pause for a moment here and do some math. A chute opening can generate as much as 3 Gs of force. The average cat weighs about 8 pounds at 1 G. At 3 Gs, this becomes 24 pounds. Makes sense. So when the chute opened... For a moment, this guy had 72 razor-sharp claws in his skin, each one, his skin, each one being pulled down with a force of one and a third pounds each. That's 9,696 9, pounds of cat. Holy this guy was holy. sliced to ribbons, basically. I think he got what he deserved, but I, I love this story. <laughs> All four cats hung on through the entire shoot opening. Although the skydiver's flesh allowed them to slip several inches. (laughs) Just a bit. (laughs) Bleeding and in misery, the skydiver (laughs) managed to make a safe, albeit rather rough landing, on a farm field. As soon as he hit the earth, all four cats ran off across the field and disappeared into the woods. Good for them. Leaving him to, them. to lie there bleeding from a hundred wounds or so. <laughs> he was the, and the way this email ends, and I love this, it says, he was the only member of the skydiving club that was displeased with the results of the experiment. <laughs> I can just picture these four cats running for the woods and looking back over their shoulders like, screw you, loser. What the hell was that? (laughs) Wow. Enjoy packing your chute. (laughs) So thanks to uh, the uh, listener that sent me that TikTok. Uh, Again, it came from the Rock Drive show in New Zealand. And also the the information that I had leading up to it came from an article in Audi about... uh, various extreme skydiving sports that are making a name for themselves across this great land of ours. And I say this great land of ours because I like saying it. As well you should. Did you know, by the way, that a group of cats is called a clutter? I did not know that. 
Yeah. I know that um, a group of crows is a murder. It's uh, yeah, it's a murder of crows. And it is, isn't it a complaint of ravens? Yes. And it's a bale of turtles. I did not know that. Well, I only know these things because of cat, which makes sense. Hey there, I'm Dylan Lewis, one of the hosts of Motley Fool Money. Each weekday on Motley Fool Money, we talk through the business news you need to know and the stories moving stocks on Wall Street. On weekends, we dive into the industries shaping tomorrow and host the experts, authors, and executives that understand them. Tune in for insights, a long-term perspective on investing, and of course, stock ideas, plenty of them. To quote a listener, it pays to listen. Check us out and subscribe wherever you listen to podcasts. Have you ever wondered what really happened to Amelia Earhart or the lost colony of Roanoke? Do you ever find yourself scouring the internet for vicious Victorians and their murders by gaslight? Or perhaps you're just sick and tired of women being constantly misrepresented or plain lied about throughout history? If so, join me, Katie Charlwood, history harlot and reader of books on Who Did What Now? The history podcast that's not your history class. Part of the Area of Media Network. Available on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you listen to podcasts. Adios, au revoir, au revoir, zen, my friends. Bye-bye. I'll be seeing you. It's not just that our pizzas are some of the best you've ever tasted. It's not just our ingredients. We use only the freshest meats, toppings, and hand-pulled dough available. And it's not our top-secret oven design passed down for generations using our proprietary blend of wood, brick, and stone. So what makes our pizzas so much better than others? It's simple. You never have to order them. We're Psychic Pizza, the only brand of pizza made by people who know what you want before you do. Extra large? We already knew that. Double veggies but hold the mushrooms? We knew that too. And your address? We know where you live. We even know when you want it delivered. And there's no need for your credit card. We've known that for years. Psychic Pizza. We know what you want. We know where you live. Our email address is lifeguard at shallowendpodcast.com. And uh, it has to be in exactly that order or it won't work. Right. Lifeguard at shallowendpodcast.com. A subscriber named Heather. Have I said before how much I love the name Heather? Heather. I love the name Heather. Heather is it's one of the beautiful pretty, name. prettiest names I've ever heard. The single kindest person I ever worked with at the Walt Disney Company was a woman named Heather Klein, who is actually still a very good friend. And I got to have uh, dinner with Heather and her husband a while back. And I was looking across the table and I had said to my wife, Nancy, on the drive there, just for what it's worth, Heather is the single kindest person I ever worked with at Disney. And when we were driving home, Nancy said, I can see why you would say that. Oh, that's sweet. But I digress. Heather writes, hi, JG, Lindsay, and Kat. I was just listening to episode 55 in a nice hotel festooned with sausage made me think of my own pork product faux pas. Uh-oh. How's that for a phrase? I love it. My then boyfriend, now husband, and I had embarked on our first vacation together. We planned on, we planned an action-packed trip to the White City, and one of the highlights was a secured reservation to a very hip restaurant. 
The night comes, we're both so excited, we basically order every appetizer on the menu. <laughs> but one item caught our eye in particular, ham fries. Ham fries? I ain't never heard of no ham fries, have you? No, never, never. Tell me more about these, these, this mystical... <laughs> these ham fries of which you speak. <laughs> this, this mystical food stuff. The ham fries and everything else we ordered were just to die for. And because we ordered so much food, we had to take the majority of it back to the hotel. She brings up a very good point because I'm always aware when I travel of how much food you're ordering, knowing that it's not like you're home and you can take it and put it necessarily in the refrigerator. Right. Uh, we ordered, we had to take a majority of it back to the hotel, ham fries included. We go about our vacation and we're having the best time. But as the days go by, our room starts smelling like an absolute garbage can. And for the life of us, we couldn't figure out why. We actually thought it was our clothes. We even took everything to the laundromat. No dice. The room still stunk. We started tearing the room apart. And wouldn't you know it, my future husband, God love him, didn't put the ham fries in the fridge. They had been decomposing under a pillow for days. <laughs> oh, no. why, why, why would you put your ham fries under a pillow? Uh, for the I'm ham fries guessing, fairy? I'm guessing just a, a little a little lack of uh, <laughs> lack of follow through mm. on uh, mm. on her boyfriend's mm-hmm. part. They had been decomposing under a pillow for days. I gingerly picked up the bag and disposed of them by the elevator. The smell definitely lingered into the hallway that night. <laughs> I hope you guys enjoy my skinny dip in the shallow end. Thanks for reading this. Love always, Heather. Thank you, Heather. And clearly uh, the vacation worked out well because he was then your boyfriend. You two are now married. And I'm guessing you cannot check into a hotel without looking at each other and saying, remember the ham fries <laughs> the ham the ham fry incident yeah the ham fry incident I, I can't believe that I've never I've never heard of of ham fries did I talk about this on the podcast about when we went to um, <clears throat> when Kat and I went to Thailand and there were so many stray cats that she wanted to buy cat food but the little store that was open only had like local delicacies they didn't have any cat foods so she bought a bunch of uh, freeze-dried cuttlefish Oh, boy. And she carried it okay. around in her purse and uh, forgot it was in there. It was not a purse, but a, like a fanny pack or, you know, a crossbody pack. And she forgot it was in there oh until one morning uh, I woke up and there were probably 11 million ants filing in from under the door along the baseboard oh. up the side of the bureau where her fanny pack was and, and going in and trying to get the cuttlefish. It was oh terrifying. Lord. Oh, my Lord. I just threw her fanny pack away and left. Yeah, yeah. Because what didn't you guys go when it was particularly warm and humid? No, not as bad as it can be. I mean, it was warm and okay. humid. It was about like what it would be in Florida, 90 and humid. Okay, but all right. But in the summertime, it's even worse. And I can't imagine that. I really can't. Also, wow. don't, don't leave cuttlefish in the sun. Pro tip, yep. pro traveler tip, mm-hmm. don't leave cuttlefish in the sun. Which you know is going to be the name of this episode. Of course. (laughs) When Johann Rahl received the letter on Christmas Day, 1776, he put it away to read later. Maybe he thought it was a season's greeting and wanted to save it for the fireside. 
but what it actually was, was a warning, delivered to the Hessian colonel, letting him know that General George Washington was crossing the Delaware and would soon attack his forces. The next day, when Rawl lost the Battle of Trenton and died from two Colonial Boxing Day musket balls, the letter was found, unopened in his vest pocket. As someone with 15,000 unread emails in his inbox, I feel like there's a lesson there. Oh well, this is The Constant, a history of getting things wrong. I'm Mark Chrysler. Every episode, we look at the bad ideas, mistakes, and accidents that misshaped our world. Find us at constantpodcast.com or wherever you get your podcasts. This is your friendly lifeguard with a public service announcement. Stay out of the fucking deep end. You're in the shallow end with Schnapply and Talk. JG, I call my story the case of the overweight fish. Okay. I came up with that title uh, just last night and I was much more enamored with that title last night, a glass of wine in, than I am <laughs> right now, stone cold sober, where right. I think, yeah, you probably could have... Worked a little harder and yeah, come up with yeah. that. Well, let a that be a lesson to you, my good man. Better title. You need to start drinking earlier in the day. <laughs> Fair point. I will take that as a challenge. Have you ever had walleye fish? No, I don't think so. Very, very big in Minnesota and Wisconsin. And until I met uh, Nancy, who's from the Twin Cities, I had never had walleye. But I remember my first trip back there having uh, walleye strips, which would be sort of like, you know, mozzarella, deep, deep fried mozzarella sticks, only deep fried walleye. Okay. And it's, of course, anything deep fried is, is going to be yeah. pretty tasty. Yeah. You but, could deep fry a shoe and I would eat it. Yeah. I'm with you. I'm with you. Uh, but apparently, uh, walleye fishing tournaments are huge deals to fishermen. My story is about what one writer termed, quote, an event that appears to be the most nefarious, blatant, and outrageous case of cheating, the tournament. Jesus, Lindsay. <laughs> Jesus, Lindsay and Mary. An event that appears to be the most nefarious, blatant, and outrageous case of cheating, the tournament walleye fishing has ever experienced, exclamation <laughs> mark. Wow. So clearly, tournament walleye fishing is a big deal but apparently it is not without scandal. So my story is about two guys named Jacob Runyon and Chase Kaminsky. Aren't those great names? Not as great as Heather, but yeah. Not as great as Heather, but, but nobody is. Jacob Runyon and Chase Kaminsky. And they were kind of a big deal within the, uh, the walleye fishing tournament circuit. There's, there's actually a circuit. Okay. They had already won a few other tournaments, and I just love these names. In 2021 alone, they won the Rossford Walleye Roundup, <laughs> and they scored a huge cash win in the 2021 Walleye Slam. Isn't that great? That is great. Yeah, I love that. Rossford Walleye Roundup. So I didn't know about this, but apparently cheating is is kind of a an issue in these tournaments and for obvious reasons is very much frowned upon. But it's a deal. It, it's a thing because the money can be huge. How do you in cheat these, in a fishing tournament? Do you like you like raise a walleye on your own until it gets ridiculously big and then sneak him into your truck? 
Now, see, normally I would say to you, boy, JG, that's a great question. I have no idea how you cheat at a fishing tournament, but because of the hours and hours of research I put into doing this story, I can tell you exactly (laughs) how this happens. And here it is now. And here we are now. This is where we, uh, this is why it's featured on the Shallow End podcast. It's, it's turned into such a big deal that the winners of the, of these contests now frequently have to take voice stress and lie detector tests before they're declared the official winners and given their checks. Oh, wow. Can you, can you believe that? That's crazy. So these guys, Runyon and Kaminsky, they apparently had taken voice stress and polygraph tests in previous tournaments, and they had passed them. In fact, in one tournament, th- these these uh, tournament uh, organizers were so hardcore that they actually sent an observer out on every boat just to make sure that the fishermen were not cheating. Wow. Wow. Yeah. So they, uh, these guys, Runyon and Kaminsky, weighed in the apparent top catch in a tournament called the Lake Erie Fall Brawl. <laughs> okay. And they claimed more than $100,000 in winning that tournament, the wow. Lake Erie Fall Brawl. Wow. But here's, here's where things go south. They were ultimately disqualified. And when the media followed up with the tournament director at the time and said, hey, what, you know, what happened? Why didn't they get their $100,000? The tournament director would offer no explanation other than to say, quote, one of these men failed his polygraph. So go figure. Wow. Now, after these guys had won the first place money in the Rossford walleye roundup, (laughs) several other fishermen had complained off the record that they were suspicious that something shady had taken place. One of these anglers, always loved that term, claimed that Runyon and Comiskey's fish, quote, looked old, unquote, (laughs) like these walleye had been caught prior to the start of the event and stashed in what fishermen call a live well. So here's something else that's interesting. When, when these tournaments are held, it's, it's very common that all of the fish that are caught get donated to local food banks, which I think is really cool, right? Oh, absolutely. Everybody wins. The food bank gets this free food that goes to people who need it. But in this particular case, after the tournament, both Runyon and Comiskey said, uh, we don't want to donate our fish this time, hmm. as, as all of the other tournament fishermen had done, right? Something smells fishy. Hmm. Nicely done. A gentleman named Ross Robertson, he's a professional uh, fisherman who's written extensively about fishing and said that the use of technology and ballooning prizes in recent years has made the sport far more competitive and therefore far more prone to cheating. And to your exact point a few minutes ago, all right, how do people cheat in a fishing tournament? And here are just a few things (laughs) that people will do. They will have friends deliver pre-caught fish to them. Now I don't I don't know how you do that but that's that's obviously one of the reasons why in some tournaments they insist on a third person going out with you on the boat to to 
notice, you know, if something like that actually happened. Yeah, the only way around that would be to have a friend with a scuba tank and uh, (laughs) surreptitiously following around under the boat and then at some point hooking this pre-caught fish still alive i think you'd have you'd have to say to the to the third person the observer on your boat you'd have to to point behind him and say what is that a, a bear yeah and then when he turns away you reach down and you grab the fish <laughs> from your friend in this in the scuba gear yeah there you go they will they will also fish in prohibited areas uh they'll put fish in cages before the competition and i guess those cages are somehow affixed to the bottom of the boat and like we were just talking they find a way to uh, mm. to reach down and, and pull the fish out of the cage they will also stuff them with ice which adds heft okay. during the weigh-in that okay. takes place but here's what's interesting about that that ice of course melts mm-hmm. and leaves no evidence that it was ever there that's pretty smart yeah yeah and uh, uh, this this guy Robertson says that one of the oldest tricks is actually placing weights mm. into the fish. Right. But that's seen as primitive and sloppy for obvious reasons. He said it would be like saying a five foot tall person weighs five hundred pounds, <laughs> but you look at him and he looks like an athlete. There's there's clearly something going wrong going on. So a gentleman named Jason Fisher. I'm not making this up. Okay. Was the tournament director for this particular fishing tournament. Did he get the job just because of his name? Well, I was was thinking, you know, you walk in and say, hi, my name's Jason Jason Fisher. And they go, you're hired. We don't care about your experience. You're hired. We just, (laughs) we, you got to have a tournament director named, named Fisher. So he's the guy, he's the tournament director in this particular contest. And he becomes suspicious when these guys come up with their their haul because the fish were way heavier than he expected them to be he estimated these fish to be about four pounds each they had they had five fish so that should be 20 pounds right right but they weigh in these five fish and they are 34 pounds Hmm. And in fact, there's there's YouTube video of, of this incident and all the other fishermen, understandably, are standing around watching these fish being weighed. And one of the other fishermen standing in the background yells, no way, <laughs> which I love. I think, you know, this is this is a tough this is a tough room. So Mr. Fisher, the director of the tournament which, by the way, was the Lake Erie Walleye Trail, uh, inspects one of these walleye and feels a hard object in its stomach. Mm-hmm. And he thinks, well, that's, that's not natural. I mean, it's not like these fish are eating rocks. And here's the point where absolutely everything goes south. And not to overstate things, but these two guys, Jacob Runyon and Chase Kaminsky, are about to have their lives change because when fisher slices open one of these fish he finds lead weights in the fish oh come on yeah yeah next fish same thing next fish lead weights and pieces of walleye fillet and i'm i'm thinking how could you think you were going to get away with this Hmm. so fisher says 
We got weights in the fish. There we go. And he actually holds up an egg-sized lead ball that he plucked out of this fish when he sliced its stomach open. Wow. And this, this to me is the, is the only, I wouldn't call it humorous part, but he, Fisher, turns to Runyon, one of the cheating fishermen, and says, get the F out of here. Only he doesn't say F. <laughs> Just like, a, like an umpire ejecting uh, sure. you know, a, a ball player from, from a game. Well, now people realize what's going on. And they are pissed. And when you when you watch this video, these these other fishermen really get angry. I mean, like crazy angry. And I was watching the video thinking, oh, my God, someone's going to take a swing at these guys. And it's interesting because Runyon and Kaminsky don't make eye contact really with anybody. But the crowd is getting hot. Wow. Really, really fast. Like it's going to turn into a full-blown, you know, brawl like you'd see on on the ice at a hockey game. A feeding frenzy, if you will. A feeding frenzy, as it were, where the fishermen became the bait. So somebody in the video yells, you effing piece of shit. And they didn't say effing. Mm. You've got a boat. You got thousands of effing dollars you stole from everyone. And it's only when, because somebody sees what's going on and actually calls 911 and says, you got to get some cops here because things are getting really heavy, really fast. And it's only because these on-duty police officers show up that Runyon and Kaminsky, just in my opinion, in watching the video, aren't beaten to a pulp <laughs> by these by these real fishermen. Because it was so clear that that they were guilty and the fact that they wouldn't make eye contact with anybody. I mean, it's, it's this, this yeah, video yeah. is, is, is creepy. All the tells. So these guys end up getting indicted by wow. a grand jury. Yeah. Well, it's a hundred thousand dollars. Yeah. That's grand larceny, isn't it? And I'm not sure what the, what I, I think this one was going to be $30,000 was going to be the first prize. But I thought, I thought, wow, that's when I was reading this, I thought attempted grand theft, possessing criminal tools, the unlawful ownership of wild animals. That's what they get hit with. Wow. And and the uh, the assistant uh, Cuyahoga County prosecutor, a guy named James Gutierrez, says you have individuals who committed fraud in trying to obtain money. That's fraud, whether it's a fishing tournament or a Ponzi scheme. Wow. They end up going to court and pleading guilty before it even goes to trial, which is probably very smart because I think mm. they knew we just got to throw ourselves on the mercy of the court. Yeah, the the, and <laughs> the fish swallowed the uh, lead uh, weight uh defense probably wouldn't fly yeah uh, we think that fish had an eating disorder we have no idea where that <laughs> where that lead weight came from yeah. so at this uh this sentencing the uh, kaminsky says i just want to apologize to everyone it's a bad situation it's something i wish i could say didn't happen the other guy runyon says 
it was the most ignorant decision I've ever made in my life, and I want to apologize to everybody. This guy, Jason Fisher, the guy that, you know, was the tournament director who actually sliced open that fish and found the weights, he addressed the court before these guys are sentenced, and he points out that they had won nine, these these two gentlemen, fishermen, had won nine of the 19 events he had run in his career, the next winningest team had only won two. Wow. So that, that shows you the numbers. Wow. So in late May, just weeks ago, a judge named Stephen Gall of the Cuyahoga County Common Pleas Court suspended a 30-day jail sentence on the misdemeanor charge in favor of a 10-day jail sentence. Then that's followed by one and a half years of probation for the felony cheating charge. And if they violate probation, they each get up to a year in prison. In addition, the judge said both are ordered to pay a $2,500 fine, half of which can be suspended. I thought this was really cool. If they make a donation to a charitable organization focused on both fishing and children. Oh, I thought that's that's cool. Now, the boat that they used as a tournament that they had won earlier in another tournament, that was valued at, get this, $130,000. Good Lord. And that got forwarded to the Ohio Division of Wildlife. They seized it as a criminal tool, which I thought was very smart. Their fishing licenses were suspended for three years, the longest suspension possible. But... The attorneys said the greatest damage, and I thought this was really interesting, that Runyon and Kaminsky's suffer, uh, are, are suffering is their public image. Mm. There's an assistant county prosecutor, a guy named Andrew Rogalski, who says they are forever going to be branded with the labels of cheaters and thieves. After today, they'll be convicted felons. Nobody should feel bad for them because they deserve this. They earned this. And uh, another attorney guy named Gregory Gentile said, both men know they will never again compete in a fishing tournament. And he closed by saying this, there is seemingly endless public humiliation for these guys. These guys are going to have to suffer this forever. Mm. Whenever they go on a date, whenever they apply for a job, (laughs) whenever they get Googled, this case is going to show up forever. And they're not allowed anywhere within 50 meters of a tackle shop. (laughs) I don't think they can walk past a fish tank (laughs) without getting in trouble with the law. They brought it on themselves. Yeah, yeah. I'm sorry, sir. You you can't come into the aquarium. Um, We're going to have to ask you to leave Captain Jack's Fish Shack for dinner (laughs) because we just Googled your name. Um, uh, Also, uh, well, I'm sorry, sir. Long John Silvers can't serve people like you. (laughs) You'll have to leave. No, you can't have coleslaw. You have to leave. (laughs) And hush puppies are right out of the question. (laughs) I got this from Yahoo News, the Toledo Blade newspaper, and a little paper called the New York Times. I've heard of that. Great story. Wow. Yeah, bad decision. Don't cheat at fishing tournaments. Don't anger. Don't cheat. Don't anger anglers. Don't anger anglers. Look at JG coming up with that. <laughs> Our email address is lifeguard at shallowendpodcast.com. We appreciate your 
Your comments, your story ideas, your critiques, your jokes, anything you got at all, send it to us. We truly appreciate your, your patronage and just listening to the damn thing. And we'll see you next time. Remember, it's, 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 it's really crucial to make good choices. Your life and your fishing license might depend on it. So concludes another episode of The Shallow End with Schnebley and Toff. We thank you for listening. Oh, be a dear, would you? Please subscribe to this podcast, give these boys a five-star rating, and think of something nice to say, even if you have to make something up. And visit us online at shallowendpodcast.com. Okay, gotta go.